Hey everybody, it's Andy Little here from the EM Over Easy podcast. Wanted to introduce this audio from an amazing conversation we had at the recent ACOP Scientific Assembly that was held virtual in October of this year, where Drew, John, and myself had the chance to sit down with Chris Kolber and Lois Swisher, both previous guests in the show that discussed the all-important topic of how we as EM providers can avoid bringing work home. So we'll get you to the audio, but real quick, don't forget we are the official podcast for the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians, or the ACOP for short. So to learn more about this great organization, about one of its upcoming CME opportunities and how you can join, please visit acoap.org today. So you just finished a long shift. It was a shift that you had originally not been scheduled for. It was a shift you got called in to help with. So you go in for this shift. And during that shift, you have multiple just kind of negative interactions with patients. And it finishes with an eight-month-old cardiac arrest that doesn't go well. You go home and of course, because you weren't supposed to work, but you had to go into work. And so you walk in and your support system, whether it's your wife or your significant other, they kind of are angry that you were at work. And so you come into this situation where you're frustrated because how bad the shift was. And it was bad for a lot of reasons, the typical reasons, right? The typical day in the ER that was exacerbated by this, this young kid's code at the end. And you come home and just find out that things aren't going well at your, at your home either. And try as you must you find yourself being difficult with your family and kind of hard to be around. So when you think of that scenario, what what runs through your guys' minds? Well, I think my family would tell you that I'm difficult to be around at default. So I'm not sure what would have changed (laughs) in this scenario. This is the worst part of our job, in my opinion, is the transition from work to home. And this is why I think it's such an important thing to talk about. And it doesn't even matter necessarily who's at home. It can be a dog waiting for you at home. It can be nobody waiting for you at home. It can be a family that you have no idea what's going on in their day and what their state of mind is when you get home either. And that's maybe the hardest part to walk into is when you've had a rough day, you walk into your house and your family's had a rough day too, or the person you live with has had a rough day, your roommate, maybe your animal, you who, whatever. And now you're dealing with multiple emotions and multiple people's independent current statuses that don't necessarily jive. So number one, what I do is I try to avoid that situation altogether, which is don't get home until I'm ready to be home. And sometimes that means going for a really long drive around the outer belt of the city and saying, I'm not ready to be home yet. It's going to be another half hour. And sometimes it means I can walk into the house right away because everything's okay and I'm in a good state of mind. But I have to do my best to clear my own mechanism prior to walk into that situation because I owe it to my family to do that. Not easy. And I can't always accomplish it, but, but that's my first thought. I like to bring that up, Drew, that it doesn't matter who's at home. Even an empty house can be a bad place to go. Interesting, because I had a bad time this week, and I got home seven hours after my shift ended, which is sort of a long time, but I was so upset with what was happening, and I know I wasn't going to be working for several days, that I wasn't going to let any of my colleagues touch that chart until that person got transferred. And it took seven hours to train. All I was doing was trying to get that person transferred. And I think that having done this for a long time, more than 30 years, the ups and downs have happened. And the first thing I do coming home, and I tend to be a nocturnist, is take care of those physical things. Have I slept and have I eaten? Because sometimes after you sleep, things look brighter, stress and 
that we put into our work. Sleep can make things better and eating. I tend to not eat or drink during my shift and just taking care of myself, I think helps. And then when I wake up, if I'm still in that state, oftentimes it isn't my family. It's a peer that I have to contact. And my family gives me the time to sort of try to take care of myself. You know, I'm very blessed to have a rich group of people in my life, any number of whom I could probably call any time of day or night and talk about anything. But very early on in my emergency medicine career, actually before I became a physician, when I was working as a paramedic, I actually established basically a crowd buddy, I guess would be the right way to, to put it. A person that will always answer the phone when I call and just let me vent. And it's taken a long time to develop that relationship, but I do the same thing for them. And that's been probably the single best thing that I've had because there are always going to be those times like when Drew still has to go home because he has to be there to do something and the shift didn't go well. So having that person for me that I can call and give a three minute blast to, and then put it on a shelf for a few minutes is really, really uh, so helpful for me. So I'm really grateful for that person and I hope they're grateful for me as well. It's very humbling what we do and some of the expectations that we hold of ourselves just the conversations that we have. What works for Christopher Colbert is um, some days we're going to have tough days. It's my opinion. It's not good to surprise your family members with your bad days, meaning that it's not good to walk in the house and say, hey, this is what happened. I appreciate what Drew says. Sometimes we, we need a, a window, but realistically, sometimes that window when you get off of work is to take someone to soccer practice to pick up someone from ballerina practice, or you're going to do something else. As cliche and corny as it may sound, it's early communication. And sometimes it's just a communication. Sometimes you have to have a dialogue with yourself. And then you have this conversation with someone else. For me, it's my wife. If I have a tough day, I will call on my way home sometimes and say, hey, I had a tough day, blah, blah, blah. And we have a little bit of discussion so that coming to my home is the uplifting part of the day even when I have a tough day. So that, hey, I had a tough day. This sucked. We had this kid and blah, 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 blah. I'm looking forward to making a fort when I get home. There's something to be said in reference to when we leave our home, knowing the job we have. If you kind of set your mindset to know that ah, this day may not turn out the best. However, if you put things in place when you leave your home, and that's what I do now, is like the two seconds it sits that I would check my email while I'm eating, scruffing down some food and making sure that you've got your shoes, you've got your shin pads, you've got blah, 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 blah. I'll sit at the table and I'll still scruff down my food, but I'll put my phone down and I'm saying, hey, where are your shin guards? Where are you so-and-so? And then, oh yeah, I want to make up for it. Dad, don't forget I've got ballerina practice or dad, hey, good luck at your conference and the Andy little guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But that's what you hang on to throughout the day. So that when you do have your tough moments, which we're all going to have, you have something else to do as your goal other than communicate your bad day. Don't trump your end of your shift off with this bad event. Kind of have other things to do, other things to think of, because this will be a shift that we always have forever. And you want your family and you want your friends and whomever to know that it's okay to have tough days. There's a way in which you communicate them and go on about your days so that you can go to work again the next day and, be, and have a positive outlook on your job.
Yeah, I love that you guys are already like we're workshopping ideas. I bring up this particular issue because I think all of us are on social media and and whichever platform you're on, I see our colleagues going through this cycle of asking this question of I'm having a hard time getting home and transitioning to family. And we're all also in resident education. We've all seen residents struggle with this and we've all struggled with it personally. But that's why I love this conversation because as Drew mentioned, it's probably the I find now the biggest and most important part of my job is how do I leave the hospital at the hospital and don't bring it into my house? Because I've seen the negative impact that has on everybody at home, down to my youngest kid, all the way up to, to my significant other and my parents and, and other individuals. So when we were doing research for this outline, there was a question of if we have a clinical spouse or significant other, does that make it better? I don't know. A couple of people on this, on this chat have that. And there's some pros and cons there, I think. So what are those, John and Chris? So my significant other, I mean, anybody that knows me knows, knows about Kim. Kim doesn't do emergency medicine, but she has worked a long time in healthcare and is a, really does work within cardiology. So there's a lot of communication that can occur. We have a lot of overlapping communication. I will say it is a mixed bag because what's nice is sometimes you want to vent about something that's medical, right? Like somebody didn't manage somebody right in your opinion or you know, something, a patient did something that really upset you and it was relevant to their care. Maybe they didn't think it was and all those other human emotions we have. Right. And so it's nice there because I don't have to give the whole background to cut to the chase about what's irritating. And sometimes I just need to say it out loud and then realize that it's not that big of a deal and move on. But what I will say that leads to, and where I am very blessed because we've grown past this in our relationship but it's a keen thing you have to always work on is comparing or trying to equivocate stressors. Like, because I'm an ER doc, my stuff is more important than your stuff because that was office stuff. So that's stupid. You can just reschedule them, right? Or, well, I work weekends, but she doesn't work weekends. So when we have like a scheduling issue to think, well, I've got the moral high ground because well, I work 365, 24 seven, right? You have to realize that when somebody's telling you they're stressed or they're emoting to you that they are stressed about something, if you're good in that relationship and you approach it from a good space, your job is to listen and to, to let them be okay with that and to help them get through it rather than to try and like, you know, put up your dukes and come down to who's got the most trauma going on at the moment. And that's the one thing that I would say that's, that's really hard when you have a significant other that uh, is engaged in medicine. It's really easy to start comparing and trying to equilibrate traumas. I would agree. It's a mixed bag. It's really great to, to engage in conversation who knows with someone who is very knowledgeable of the details that you have. And at the same time, you, you have to kind of watch the delivery and just be mindful of that and just communicate because my, my wife is a rheumatologist. And like, that's our joke. Sometimes she'll go to the car and come back in the house and say, oh, I forgot my stethoscope. And I'll go, really? <laughs> you need your stethoscope to be a rheumatologist? Are you just going to order in, in a bunch of blood work? And then the answer is going to be steroids. The answer, the answer is, is steroids. steroids. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You've got like steroids seven drugs and, you prescribe. Yeah. No, 100%. Yeah. Steroids <laughs> and more blood tests, right? <laughs> but yeah. And, yeah. And, and it was interesting because as, as I did the research, they brought this up as a possible thing. And, and I think it's one reason why sometimes as ER docs, we gravitate to our support system as other ER docs. But I have some friends who are not in emergency medicine and they've become my support work, if nothing else, because again, as John mentioned, I can 
spare them some of the details, but then they'll get where I'm coming from a medical standpoint, that there is some benefit there in having whatever your support network looks like, having other physicians in it, even if they're not in EM, because you can tell them about the jerk consultant that didn't call you back and they've all been there. There's enough shared experience that it's important, but also be ready because they'll also, you also need them because they'll give you the reality check of, Hey man, this isn't something to complain about. I appreciate that you just spent the last 15 minutes going on about it, but like, come on, man, like, isn't this your job? And so I think it's important to like, there are some pro, if you're just looking for positive things out of this, like you're not going to get it from clinical or non-clinical support group, but you need, you need some of that as well. But then let's talk a little, I think we all have the non-clinical people. And what are some of the pros and cons there of having somebody who has no idea what we do be a part of our, our, our support group for these bad days? Well, I have a non-clinical spouse. My husband's a minister. He does not do medicine. After 30 years, he knows some of it just from being around me. I think the advantage is that they don't get caught up in the details. He's not going to want to know like what the BUN and creatinine was and what the EKG showed. He's looking at the wider picture of what the interaction is with people and how it's affecting me and how I can help choose my responses. And so I think he takes a broader uh, look at the interactions versus the details of the actual clinical problems. Like when you're having a problem with a consultant or somebody coming in, he's not focusing on whether it's the right decision or not, more on how you communicate. I think my wife would probably say the same thing, or we have the same relationship. Sometimes I want to tell her about something really cool clinically. And then I catch myself as I start to talk about it. I'm like, this isn't going to be really cool to you at all. In fact, you're just going to look at me. I might as well tell this to the dog. Not that you don't understand because she's a lot smarter than me and she knows medicine better than me, but the dog's going to be more excited about what I have to say than my wife is. She'll be like, okay, so what's the shtick, right? And the reality is a lot of the time, that's really the right question is what's the shtick, but I need somebody to act excited because I was excited. And, And then, you know, a little bit what John talked about when you have a medical person that you talk to, which is you have to be really careful about not comparing, right? So if my wife, my kids, whoever's had a really bad day and I've had a bad day too, you know, the, the default sometimes is like, yeah, really tell me, tell me about how bad your day was. Like, did anyone die on your watch? Well, it's all a matter of perspective and it's, it's all a scale, right? So this is what we deal with and this is what we're paid to deal with. And this is what our training has us deal with. And, and that trauma might be even less than what the other person you're talking to dealt with in their day based on their scenario, their place in life, their, yeah. their situation. And, and it's a really good check to just be mindful. Right. And I think that's what this whole thing has to do with is we have to be mindful of ourselves so that we could be mindful of others. And, and we'll talk more about this, I think, as the conversation goes on, but I, I used to bring a lot of work home, whether that was bringing the weight of work home with me or just bringing work to do after hours at home. And what I've tried to be incredibly more mindful of is just to make sure that I augment my life a little more. So that the, there's times that are working times, whether that's clinical, whether that's academic, whether that's administrative, and then there's times to not do any of that. And I need to have a clear line. That line can't be gray. That line has to be more black and white. And that doesn't mean that work doesn't happen at home sometimes, just like I don't bring burdens home sometimes, or I don't bring things that need to be done, like application review right now, because that always needs to be done. But there's times at which it's okay to do it, and there's times at which it's not. And I can't force that gray area upon somebody, just like I can't force my heart shift upon my family when I come home if it's that gray area. It has to be a black and white. Yeah, I, I love that you bring up the kind of the areas, because it, it to me, what what has been a huge shift at our house is... John mentioned comparing 
uh, my wife and I, we've spent a lot of time, like what's the exchange rate? So like, what is the, like, what is a, a pediatric code in your life? You know, as, as my wife is not clinical is a, a stay at home parent with four kids. Like we've had to reset, like, all right, so what, what equals a cardiac arrest for the day to where like, I know when she's talking, I'm like, all right, so that's her cardiac arrest. And when I bring it up, she's like, all right, that's my, this. And we've kind of built some common language to where we can kind of gauge each other's day based off of what we're talking about. And then we've also gotten really to where we set stuff aside to where like, when I get home, like Chris mentioned, my new go-to, cause I have about a 30 minute drive is I call my wife. She asked, was work good. And then I say, yeah, it was okay. It was work. And that's kind of my new go-to phrase when work wasn't great. I said, it was work because I know that work's going to be work. And then we talk about what we're going to do the rest of the day. So I can get in the mental mindset of, all right, so today's soccer practice. So I've got to go from field A to field B. And doing that is, has become very therapeutic because it's something that's standard and it's normal. And it's something that I can like rely on. There's nobody running in with a, a gunshot wound to the chest on my kid's soccer practice. Soccer practice has the following factors and like the variables are very small, but I love that you're Drew, you brought up the fact of like having different parts of your day and fit space in your life for some of this as well. Cause you can just kind of compartmentalize work that work happens here and it doesn't happen here and setting up a lot of boundaries with your significant other or your spouse. I don't call my wife on the way home very often. Um, and if I do, it's because there's a fire that needs to be put out typically like, Hey, I'm not going to make it home in time to get a kid, you know, like we talked about or something, something along those lines. What I try really hard to do is on a shift where it leads into something else. And and there's really only one shift that I work that it's like, I have to be home and be present right away, potentially, Mm -hmm. but communicate time, right? Because my shift ends at X time, but that doesn't mean I get to leave the hospital at that time. Right. There's, there's all days. And we all know this, that you think an hour before the end of your shift, your gravy, as long as your partner shows up on time, you are out. Like all I have to do is, is change, you know, change into my clean set of scrubs that I go home with. But then there's times that you're like, I'm gravy. And then 10 minutes later, there's nothing gravy about you leaving on time and you're two hours late. Or sometimes it's just that it was a busy day and and I need, I think of it the same as I think of soccer, like there's stoppage time. At, at the end of every shift, you have stoppage time. And sometimes that's five minutes and sometimes it's 45 minutes because I got to get my charts done and all that. And we can go there whenever you want, Andy, I'll let you lead this conversation. But I'm a huge believer of inbox zero when it comes to my EMR, right? I don't have open charts. I don't have open orders to sign. There's a few exceptions, like if I have to leave right on time and that's the only way I can do it. But 99% of the time, I don't leave until my work is done. So I'm not bringing the cognitive burden of that home. And so what I have to do is I have to tell my family, hey, shift's over, but I got a lot of work I still need to do. Not going to be home for another hour or wrapping things up. I'll be out of the, out of the hospital in, in five minutes. And then whatever the drive time home is, which you know, if I'm coming straight home is 12 minutes for me. So my wife knows what that means or my kids know what that means. And it's just that now there's an understanding, right? There's nothing. It's like you calling your wife. My wife now knows exactly where I'm at. I'm super busy, have a ton of work to do or cool cruising home. And then if there's a good day, bad day, ugly day or whatever, I can preempt that a little bit to be like, hey, FYI, rough day. Sorry if I'm not in a great spot when I get home and and just put that all in a text message and and let them know because you know, stoppage time, you got to count for stoppage time. No, hundred percent. Before we go into some tips, I think, cause we all have great tips on ways we can uh, help with this in doing the research for this episode, articles for second victim syndrome kept coming up and luckily have one of the experts in mental health for physicians who can talk about that a little bit more, but 
it got me thinking about this idea. Is there a second second victim syndrome? So again, the basic premise of second victim syndrome is something traumatic happens at work and it alters who we are. And so the question is, how do we prevent that altering of us to alter our home and support relationships? And as I've sat and I pondered about the 10 years I've been a physician from resident to now, some of my relationships have been directly altered by the way I took work home. And so what's your guys' thoughts on that idea? And and what are maybe some things you've noticed as you think about how to work around that? Well, it's been very interesting listening to you guys and, and your guys. And I realized that I'm not. And I'm wondering if there is a gender difference here because I do take work home. Um, when I talked to my husband about this last night, he's like, and you're on this to show the bad example of everybody because my work is work and my play is work too. The things that I do that I, I love with physician suicide prevention and doing podcasts with you sort of falls under that work area. So I am not really good at that clear boundary. I work more at how to integrate that because this makes me happy. And I'm saying that because maybe not everybody feels that they can have that delineation in how you do this. And so for me, my boundaries are specific mandatory family time. If there's a day that it's a mandatory family day, then that's blocked out. Or for years, my daughter had a brain tumor and we watched American Idol since the beginning. American Idol is still sort of holy ground for the family. We've been doing it and it's a tradition. And so that is mandatory family time and you can't break that. I think however you balance that with your family is is important. Lois, you really do bring up a, a good point. And I was actually... I was thinking about it a little bit um, while you were talking about it. You know, we do have those colleagues that they went into emergency medicine for a reason, and it involves a, a lot of what they do, um, whether it's inside the four walls of the ED or outside. And I, I think it brings up a really interesting um, conundrum when you can't peel those apart. Uh, and it goes back to what Andy is speaking of. Emergency medicine does tend to change people. Um, you see things, you, you see people at their, at their low points and their high points, and you work with some incredibly gifted, you know, nurses and residents and APPs and physicians and all the folks in the hospital that can make or break your day. And we all take some amount home. I think it's a trick of figuring it out. And in that second victim syndrome, how do you let the things that change you, change you in a positive way, I think is really what we're all trying to to get at. John, I love that you bring that up. To me, there's there's a decision point for all this, right? So if you've, if you've listened to our show before, which I hope you have, there was an episode that still comes back whenever we have these conversations, the E plus R equals O. Don't have a ton of time to go into that, but there's an event that happens every day that can change the outcome for your day, your week, your month. And the way we react to that event, whether we're reactive or whether we're responsive, doesn't just mess up our day. It messes up everybody else's days and everybody else's months and everybody else's years. And so I think like we're, we're trying to figure out, like, we know what the problem is. The problem is these events keep happening. They happen every day when we go to work. There's, as we were getting ready for this, I literally took a log of every shift I've worked the last month. And every day there's been one of those catastrophic type events that say five years ago, half of those would have made it home. 
but because of some of the things we're talking about, about building it into your day, trying to come up with some standard things that I look forward to. And my shift is over, whether it's taking the kids to practice or scheduled exercise time or scheduled dates with my wife. Like I can now shift those events to where I can respond instead of react and not have those events negatively impact my month, my day, my year. And so when we think about that, I really think it comes down to two things. So what are some communication tips you can have with your significant others in your support group? If everybody could give one tip on how to communicate better with your sphere, what would it be? Have a conversation with your family members, all family members of the way they want to receive the information. How my dad hears about my tough days and how my wife hears about or what she wants to hear. Because you want the whole idea of conversation is to get some sort of acknowledgement in some capacity of what's going on. Sometimes you don't need an answer, just someone to listen to. Sometimes you want to hear, it's going to be okay, Chris. Or sometimes you're going to hear, hey, Chris, you can think about getting that ABG, <laughs> whatever my wife wants to say. But communication is a two way street. So, my recommendation is to find out the best way to have your your day acknowledged and not to dump on your spouse because you can't do that every day. We're all ER doctors. For what we do every day would be for some of our friends, it's, it's a bad day every day. What we do every day for everyone knows someone who could look at you and say, I could never do your job. Or after one Friday night, we'd be like, I'm done. I'm done with emergency medicine. I'm looking for something else. But we enjoy it and we make a positive impact. And sometimes the days are a little bit more in detail. So you have to have a conversation. I have a conversation. Hey, what's the best way to do it? And so my wife was the one that said, don't surprise us with bad days when you walk in the house. We can tell. The kids can tell when you have a bad day. You know, let's have a little conversation. Every day is not going to be a bad day, but just have a little conversation. So that when you walk in the house, we know you had a tough day, but it's not something that's going to infect the entire room. And my dad is that ah, you can call me, but I don't want to hear about blood. You know, you can, you could say X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. We can talk about it. I don't want to hear about the blood. If they were a hit or the specifics, just tell me the end product. And then we'll just have a good conversation and talk about Sunday football. Done. So those are the two Chris Cobra recommendations. But in order to do that, I think the recommendation I would give is you have to be honest with yourself first which is know where your mindset is coming home from your shift and be receptive to when somebody tells you that maybe you're not in the place that you thought you were. You know, Last night at the dinner table, and I, I didn't even work clinically, I was kind of short with my family initially. And probably I was just hungry, to be honest with you. I was hangry and I needed a Snickers bar uh, as I was cooking dinner and I didn't have it. But my wife goes, you're being really snappy right now. And that's all I needed was to say, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to be and let me reset myself. But there's sometimes that I know that I'm being snappy. I know that I'm coming home and I'm not in the right place. I just have to tell myself, that's okay. This is the spot I'm in right now. But then recognize that I have to then control it and share that with others. Tell my family, hey, I had a rough day. Don't need to talk about it right now. But I'm sorry if I'm not happy-go-lucky dad or if I'm a little short at the dinner table or I'm just not talking. Uh, and you clear the air, but you can't do any of that until you're honest with yourself and how your feelings are. And, and that takes a lot of introspection and that's hard. And it, it comes with time. It comes with experience and it comes with people around you, bringing that out of you. So you become more aware of yourself. I would actually piggyback onto what each of you said. And my next layer would be this. Don't be afraid to ask for what you need. And even if, and especially if you don't even know there are times that you know what you need. You need reassurance that you made a good decision or bad decision or 
you need somebody just to listen for 10 minutes and just you need to, to vent or you need help. You need thoughtful insight with a question or a problem that's bothering you or you need advice. And sometimes you don't even know what you need. You just know that there's a, an empty feeling or a hole or a, an emotion or something that's happening. And so that's when you can take that back to your, your trusted circle and say that. And I think uh, I can give this example. Andy knows having worked for me, but Drew knows there are times that I'll come over and he's on the other pod. I'll come over and go, hey, can we just, can I just vent and I'm going to say it and then I'm going to feel better and I'm done. And he just stands there and nods his head. And when I'm done talking, he's like, and I'm like, okay, great talk. I feel so much better. And it never like comes up again, right? We all have those, but don't be afraid to ask for what you need. And particularly if you know you need something, but you don't know what it is, it's okay to ask for that too. I love that you guys bring that up because I feel like too many times where I have felt like I didn't get what I needed, it's I look back at it and ask for it. Because again, having a non-clinical spouse, my wife doesn't get it. You know, she she just sees I get home. And sometimes she needs the reminder of like, hey, I, I need to go do this. It's building some code words or at least some communication tools with your significant others so they know that like, all right, so Andy, Andy needs this space, Drew needs this space right now. Um, and then just being honest about what you need. For me, there's the one person of your spouse, but for me, like it takes a village. There are a lot of people out there that are my family family, and then it's my emergency medicine family that, that I call on. So I think especially for people that hold the emotions strongly, like I do, having a wide number of people developing that network is important. And one of those is a non-clinical person. His daughter had a brain tumor, as mine did. And when I stressed out more about her and chemotherapy, I would call up. And one day he told me, he lives in the Dominican Republic, about cruise ships, and there's two-toned. And the top part is white and the bottom part is red or blue. And that's called the Plimsoll line. And if you can't see the Plimsoll line, the ship is too overloaded and it either shouldn't leave harbor or you have to get some of that cargo off. And he talked to me about people. If you could see their Plimsoll line, then they're probably fine. But if you couldn't see it, maybe they shouldn't leave their harbor and they need to find that safe harbor or get some of that emotional burden off. And so when I call him, I'll say, I'm above my Plimsoll line. He knows right then. That is that code word telling him what this conversation is. That's sort of beyond that it's a bad day or a lot of stuff happened at work. That is... We are going to have a time that I'm falling apart and maybe I don't know what I need. And he'll start running through, did you eat? Did you sleep? Um, some of the physical things and then some of the other emotional stuff. Just listening. He might listen to me for 15 minutes and be like, I feel so better, much better now. Um, I think that code word is a really important thing. Last question. What's some non-communication tips we can do to not take work home? Well, I'll start again. I take work home, so I am not a good person for that. But I think the power of sleep is more than people know. Sleeping before a shift will give you more tolerance and coming home, having good sleep may alter the way you perceive things. One that I try and teach people and do in practice, and that maybe uh, one of these days I'll work with shift with Lois and help her with, is you got to take a little bit of time on a shift to take care of your basic needs. 
And that may be a bite of food. It may be water. It may just be going down the hall and taking a walk or whatever. One of the times I did some deliberate teaching with Tanner back when he was working as a resident was we, we got him completely loaded up with patients on the pod. And then I was like, cool, let's go get some coffee. Let's go walk away. The look on his face of trying to figure out what the thousand reasons to get out from under that was. But the whole point was like, there are other people here. There are really smart nurses and other doctors and it will be okay if you have to step away for a moment, no matter what. And that one moment of realizing that the ship needs a captain, but the captain can also go to the bathroom is really, really important. Um, so that's what I would say. Train yourself to be able to step away for just a few minutes each shift. I think that is so extremely important to teach to residents. That's probably at the top of my list because you play how you practice. And that's something I always try to communicate. Kudos to you, John. That is excellent. Because I, I do the same thing. And that honestly has an effect on your day. It's bad enough to have tough patients, codes that don't turn out the way you want to. And then to sit down, pull up another chart as if that didn't even take place. Knock on the door and say, hey, I'm Dr. Corbett. How are you doing? You just called a code 30 seconds ago. And the only reason you're in here a little bit later is because you washed your hands. Like that's that's going to wear on any human being. Feeling that you have to go to work and you can't go to the bathroom, you don't feel safe going to the bathroom just because of time, that's a horrible place to work. And so where we work is a great place. It has some tough times, but doing what you said will 100% change the day shift. Well, Chris and Lois, we appreciate you both coming on the show and bringing some amazing tips and tricks on how we as EM providers can avoid bringing work home. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, please check out the show notes as the blog post will have some amazing resources put together by our team. And also don't forget to head on over to your favorite social media platforms, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or visit emovereasy.com and subscribe. So the next time one of our episodes drop, it can go straight to your inbox as a nudge to don't forget to listen to us. So until next time, thanks so much. Thanks so much.